Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We began a new sermon series last Sunday. It is our tradition, if you will, at Highlands to have a summer sermon series that focuses pretty intensely on a fairly short passage of the Bible. And we have been looking at Ephesians 5, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5 for several weeks, evaluating and thinking through who is the church? Who are we? What are we supposed to be doing? What characterizes us as a church? Before we read, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the reality, the truth that Jesus Christ gave his life for the church. That he came to die for his bride, the church. And Lord, we pray as we continue to walk through this passage and walk through our lives, we pray that you would come by the power of your Spirit. Send your Spirit into our hearts to open our eyes to the wonders and the beauty of your Word. And we pray that you would come. Come with power now as we read and study your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 14. 3 through 14. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That was particularly appropriate for the early service. It's probably particularly appropriate for, uh, for now. Awake! 
O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection. Awake. Every once in a while, usually two or three times a year, my dad would get a certain look on his face. And it was unmistakable. You may have a dad kind of like this. But uh, you, you just couldn't miss it. And he said with his face, and he said with his words, it's time to have a family meeting. And we're going to talk openly, honestly, and lovingly about hard things. Sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't. But I look back and I'm thankful for for every family meeting that my father ever called. I remember a few years ago when Cindy and I were wrestling with this thing called marriage and these people called children. And we just kept making mistakes, just one mistake after another. And the kids were right there watching. We might get in an argument or some other sin. And we thought, you know, what are we going to do? We can't hide it. And we called a family meeting. I called a family meeting and I said to our kids, you know, you, you see mom and dad make mistakes. But I'm going to promise you two things. We're going to work through them together and we will never leave you or forsake you. We'll walk through them together as a family and we will never leave you. Forgive us. We're sinners too. Forgive us. What we have in this passage today just started right out with sexual immorality. We have, and I think we can very legitimately look at it this way, we have a family meeting to talk openly, honestly, and lovingly about hard things called by a perfect father. And it's important. It's important for the body, for the family, for the church to understand these things. To talk about these things. To be aware of these things. We need to hear these things. The world needs to hear these things. But there's no better way to do a family meeting with a perfectly perfect Heavenly Father and start here and end there. Start in the the scriptures and end at the table with this family meeting. Now, maybe some of you have been in, in, in churches or you've all been in families and maybe the approach to a family meeting was something like this. Shape up! Would you just please quit causing trouble and act right? Then maybe we'll love you. And maybe even God will love you. Stop it. Just stop it. Maybe that was... On the flip side, maybe, maybe you had another 
experience, other than the experience that maybe was harsh. Maybe you had the experience of, of denial. Everything is fine. We're all fine. That We have no problems. Bless our hearts. We don't talk about things. We can do both of those things and we can land somewhere in between. But if we're harsh, that's not going to get us anywhere. And if we deny, that's not going to get us anywhere. Honest, loving, caring relationships are characterized by just that. Honesty and love. Honesty in love. You remember last week we said the very first step in understanding who we are as the church is we love because Christ first loved us. The better we understand the love of the cross, the better we understand how to love others. And it's something that's supernatural that's taken place in our lives. This supernatural love has transformed us And we should be looking more and more like Christ over time because he lives in our hearts and that love flows out. This week, Paul moves on from there. He begins by saying we walk in love and now he says we walk in light. And he does that by talking about a contrast between walking in darkness versus walking in light. Walking in darkness... Versus walking in light. What is walking in darkness? In this passage. I think we can summarize it in in one word. Idolatry. Idolatry. And then he goes on to, to say that your desires, your speech, and your bodies reveal the language of your heart. In other words, what you long for, what you talk about, and who you give your body to reveals what you worship. Reveals what you worship. What you long for, what you talk about, and who you give your body to reveals what you worship. The language of your heart. Desires. He talks here about covetousness. Essentially, he's getting at greed. Um, I remember that great theologian a few years ago, Bo Derrick, said, whoever doesn't think that money can buy happiness is shopping at the wrong store. Terrible. Money can't buy happiness. She goes on and says, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy property. What is it that drives you? What do you live for? What have you placed at the center of your heart? What is that? A few years ago, uh, a man named Neil Postman wrote a book, great book, little book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he talked about two predictions that people had made about the future. And he wrote this back in the 80s. And, and there was one group of people that said, there are going to be people that are going to come in from the outside and force us to do things that we don't want to do. And they're going to control us and they're going to have power over us. And it's what we hate that is going to destroy us. 
But then there was another group of people that said, no, 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 no. It's what we love that's going to destroy us. We're not going to be controlled by inflicting pain. We're going to be controlled by inflicting pleasure. You know, we live in the wealthiest, most entertained, most stimulated culture in history. And the messages come at us time after time after time. You're not good enough. You're not big enough. You're not small enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough hair. You have too much hair. You know, whatever. There's something wrong with you until you buy what I'm selling. And he's getting right at this, uh, what, what J.I. Packer once called hot tub religion. What do you desire? What are you after? What do you covet? And how is that the, the language of your heart? But then he goes on and talks about speech, how we talk as the language of our heart. He, says, he talks about foolish talk, crude joking, empty words, deceit. You remember James in chapter 1, verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. Wow. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. And he goes on to give word pictures, illustrations of tongue. He talks about a bit in a horse's mouth that leads the horse. He talks about a rudder in the back of a very large ship that steers the ship. He talks about a small spark that leads to a forest fire. And he says all of these things are like the tongue. But notice what he says in the first three chapters, James emphasizes that your tongue doesn't just reveal what's in your heart. And please get this, it doesn't just reveal what's in your heart, it leads your heart. It's both ways. Your tongue is connected to your heart. And it reveals the language of your heart. He says, but instead of this foolish talk, crude joking, empty words, be a person of thanksgiving. Is your default vocabulary thanksgiving? Is your default vocabulary, your words, thanksgiving, desires, speech? He also talks about our bodies. And I think he's getting right to the the point here. He's saying idolatry inevitably leads to immorality. Idolatry inevitably leads to immorality. Immorality, sexual immorality, impurity, uh, impurity must not even be named among you. There must be no filthiness. You remember what Paul says in Romans 1. For although they knew God, Romans 1 verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But in their futile 
thinking, their, fu- their foolish hearts were darkened. But in their futile thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened and they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And then he says in verse 26, God gave them up to their passions, to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Now, why is all of this so important? How is how we use our bodies the language of our heart? And we'll talk more about this toward the end of the, of the series. But you need to know that the Bible begins and ends with a wedding, with a marriage. Adam and Eve at the beginning and at the very end of the Bible. Read the last chapter of the Bible this afternoon. Revelation, the very last chapter of the Bible. You know what it is? It's a wedding invitation. It's an invitation to the wedding of Jesus Christ and His bride, the church. Every marriage, every wedding points to something vastly more important than itself. In some amazing way, Every marriage, every wedding points to, is a picture of the relationship of Jesus Christ and His bride, the church. In other words, if we don't, if we don't get marriage right, we're not going to get the gospel right. If we're confused about the meaning of marriage, we're going to be confused about the the real, deep, and rich, and profound, life-changing message of the gospel. And that God would would do that for us, it's, it's, it's astounding. Well, what is walking in light? What is walking in light? You are light. Walk as children of light. Fruit, the fruit of light is found in what is good and right and true. Christ shines on you. And we live in a world, don't we? And you may be, you may be struggling yourself now with your own sin. Chief of sinners, <laughs> right here. We all struggle with, with sin, don't we, every day. And yet there's hope and it's this light. Whatever your background, maybe you're divorced. Jesus loves you. Maybe you're single and you want to be married. Jesus loves you. Maybe you're married and want to be single. Uh, Jesus loves you. We're all guilty in some sense. But here's the hope. This light, this walking in light. What is the, let's summarize it this way. What is it to walk in light? It's to see Christ more clearly and to reflect Christ more clearly. It's to see Christ more clearly and to reflect Christ more clearly. Jonathan Edwards, one of my 
favorite commentator, says this, The light of the Son of Righteousness does not only shine upon them, but is so communicated to them that they shine also. And become little images of that sun which shines upon them. The light of the sun of righteousness does not only shine upon them, but is so communicated to them so that they shine also and become little images of that sun which shines upon them. When men and women have been with Christ, there is something about their dispositions. And if we trace it to its cause, we shall find that it is because they have been with Jesus. He's saying if you walk with Christ, if you've been with Jesus, it will show. We all know people like that. I hope hope we do. It will show when you've been with Jesus. The more... Jesus becomes beautiful to you, the more beautiful you become to others. When I first came to this area years ago to be a pastor in in one of the local churches, it's a fairly large church, and I was trying to get to know people. And... um, we, we do this in Texas. I don't know if we do it quite as much, but around Christmas, we'd start getting all these Christmas cards with photographs of, of all the family on there. But maybe it's changing a little bit, but it seems the same way. But mom and dad aren't usually in the picture. I don't know why that is, but the kids are. And Cindy and I would, well, as we, as we try to get to know this church, we would over and over say, well, let's look for family resemblance. Let's look at eyes and noses and ears, facial expressions, and see if we can match the kids to the family. What's the family resemblance that all of us should share and all of us should have as the body of Christ? As the church, what is that family resemblance? It's Jesus. Jesus unites people that wouldn't normally come together. And people begin to be conformed to his image that looked very different from one another. And yet over time, over time, as we walk, as we mentioned last week, we begin to share this family resemblance. Several years ago, I did something that I'd been wanting to do for a long time, ever since my son was born. I was so glad when my son was born, and I had thought about this trip for years, and we took a trip together. And we went back to where I grew up. Yes, I grew up in a place in the Midwest in in Chicago. I lived there until I was in sixth grade. And when my son went into fifth grade, I wanted to take him back to where I grew up as a kid and show him some things that that where I lived. But most of all, I, I wanted to take him to a Cubs game. And we went to a Cubs game and I caught a foul ball. And Sammy Sosa hit three home runs in one game. It was probably the steroids. But, but it was fun. It was fun. But, 
And I remember the last time my dad took me to Wrigley Field, I was in fifth grade. And here I was taking my son to Wrigley Field, and he was in fifth grade. But the thing that I really remember about that trip, more than anything else, is when I went to 502 Westwood Drive, the home that I grew up in. When I went to Ralph Waldo Emerson Elementary School, there's not many of those down here, but Ralph Waldo Emerson Elementary School. And when I went to Wrigley Field, even when I went to Chicago, you know what? It was all smaller than I remembered. I remember pulling up in front of my house. That's the house I lived in? It's puny. And the cornfield is gone. It's all paved, but the house was so small. My elementary school, I was scared to death. It was one of the worst days of my life when I had to go to school all day. And I went to Ralph Waldo Emerson, and there it was, and it was so small, it wasn't scary at all. Even Wrigley Field looked small. Even Chicago looked small. Looking back, going back. All of those things that seem so scary and so large and so big and so overwhelming weren't anymore. What happened? I grew up, sort of. I'm still in process. You remember the wonderful little story from the Chronicles of Narnia? If you haven't ever read those, shame on you. Read them. Read them to yourself. Read them to your children. Read them to your grandchildren. Um, and, and there's this little girl named Lucy, and she's lost. She's had a hard time. She's separated from the people that love her. Life has been very difficult. And she suddenly finds herself once again in the presence of Aslan, this Christ figure, this large lion, these wonderful children's books. And she looks at him. She's in the presence of this figure of Christ. And she looks at him and he's huge. And she looks up and it says she looked up into this very large, soft, wise face. And says, Aslan, you're bigger. And he looks down at her and says very gently, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every year you grow, you will find me bigger. What is walking in light? It means idols are getting smaller and Jesus is getting bigger, to put it very simply. Idols are getting smaller and less important. At the center of our hearts... And Jesus is taking his place at the center of our hearts. And we are giving him the worship. And him the glory. And all of those things, all of those things that seem so scary and so overwhelming and so large get smaller and smaller and smaller over time. As we walk in light. I'll close with this. Lest we be tempted to point fingers, thinking about that other person on the, the, the row. <laughs> oh, that person doesn't get this. He, know, he doesn't get what you're talking about. 
Remember we said last week, if, you, if you're tempted to point a finger, please grab it and, and, and point it at your own hearts. We've all struggled with these sins that we have so bluntly talked about in some sense. You remember in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus is invited to lunch with the experts. He's, in, he's been invited to go to lunch with the experts, with the Pharisees, and they're sitting in this semi-public place. They're reclining at this low table. And these are the guys, the Pharisees. These are the guys that know the Word of God. These are the guys that know right and wrong. These are the guys that know the law. And, and yet, something unexpected happens. This person shows up. This misfit. This person who's committed some very public sins. Everybody knows her. Everybody in the crowd and everybody around the table knows who she is. She's a sinner. Probably a, a prostitute. And everybody knows it. And everybody knows her. And when she comes into the presence of this crowd and these people, she's looking for Jesus. And what does the Pharisee do? What does Simon do? What is the language of his heart? What is she doing here? If he was a real prophet, if, if he, this Jesus, is who he claims to be, he would not allow her here. And here she is, making a scene, falling at his feet and worshiping him. And the language of the Pharisee's heart is, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is. She's a sinner, and everybody knows it. This is a man who's looking God in the face. This is a man who's looking right into the eyes of God, Jesus, and he doesn't see him. He doesn't see him for who he is, so he doesn't see others as needing grace and mercy and love because he doesn't need any, so he claims. What does the woman do? What is the language of her heart? She looks into the face of Jesus and sheds tears on his feet. She looks into the face of Jesus and sheds tears. She is experiencing forgiveness and restoration and mercy and grace and love and she lets down her hair and you can just see her kind of before the throne of glory in a sense and she's undone by grace she's undone by love and she anoints his feet and wets them with her tears and Jesus says to the crowd do you see this woman I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Then he goes on to say, for she loves much. She sees Jesus for who he is. She has been transformed and forgiven, and she loves much. That's what it is to move from walking in dark to walking in light. As one commentator writes, true faith is what happens when someone looks at Jesus and discovers God's forgiveness. True faith is what happens when someone looks at Jesus and discovers God's forgiveness. And the sign and proof of this is love. And the sign and proof of this is love. Finally, as we are about to move our family meeting to the table, you remember the the offer from a long time ago from the serpent who said, take, eat, you'll be like God, you'll be in control, you'll have the power, you'll be in the know, and what does it lead to with Adam and Eve and their temptation? It leads to death. Many years later, Jesus comes and says, take, eat, this is my body given for you. This is my body given for you. Walk in love. Walk in light. Let's pray. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch his treasure. Lord, I pray that as we sing, uh, we would know what it is and experience what it is to walk in love, to walk in light and know the tears of forgiveness, of confession, of love, of grace and mercy and transformation, new life, idols getting smaller, Jesus getting bigger, Jesus at the center of our heart. Oh, Lord, make it so. We pray in the name of him who has come such a distance for us, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.